Kroll is out with its 2014 cybersecurity forecast. What are some of the items that are being predicted? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about the cybersecurity forecast with Alan Brill. He's Senior Managing Director with Kroll. Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Glad to be with you, Tom. So, Alan, this is your third annual list of predictions. As you formulated this year's forecast, what perhaps surprised you the most? You know, the thing that was interesting was if you go back a year or two, we were not hearing a lot of, of interest in this area specifically coming from boards of directors, and that has changed radically. The board, and in, in many cases, more specifically, the, the audit committee of the board, has come to recognize that it can't carry out its fiduciary responsibility to the organization without thinking about the subject of how data, how information is used, secured, processed, even destroyed at the end of its useful life. So that's been a motivator, if you think about it. it it's something where within a corporation, the board is saying, we're not just going to assume that everything is okay. We'd like to know that everything is okay, and we'd like to have the kind of evidence that some industries are now required to do. That evolution of people listening to what we and others in the information security field have been saying and getting to the level of the board has been, you know, not just a surprise, but it's been a really, for us, pleasant revelation. Alan, I want to talk about some of the specifics of your predictions. Now, I know we don't have time to get into every one here, so I thought we might go through the top three. Sure. Your first prediction, NIST and similar security frameworks will become the de facto standards of best practices for all companies. And I wanted to ask you, don't you find that with many of these frameworks that, that they go through so much deliberation, they end up as sort of compromises, like a true compromise. They don't really please any one of the constituents, but it's just enough to, to satisfy the, the group mentality and get by. Is that useful? I think it actually is useful because historically, if, if we would go into an organization to do a security assessment, the question that everyone always asks is, what are you assessing this against? Is it what you personally feel is best? Is it the experience of your organization? What's the standard? And you're right. There is no perfect standard, and, and I suspect there'll never be. But we do know that the government is basing all of the work that it's doing in FISMA on the standard. The NIST standard is there underlying a lot of what we see at HIPAA and HITECH. And it does represent a level of protection, a level of expectation, perhaps would be the better way to put it, against which you can measure what you're doing. Now, how you implement it will always be very much in line with what your organization needs. But those general principles that underlie this and the ISO standard and, and, and a number of others are valid. And it's valid for a board, for auditors, for customers, and ultimately, Tom, for the courts 
to ask the question, are you doing what you ought to be doing? And in order to answer that, in part, you need a standard. And on your second prediction, the data supply chain will pose continuing challenges to even the most sophisticated enterprises. Now, you've talked about healthcare. How do you feel about the U.S. healthcare approach to making covered entities more accountable for their business associate security? Are there some tips here that the other sectors could adopt? When I look at this, Tom, I I think back to a lot of the cases that, that Crowell handles. Some of these cases involve breaches that have happened, and some involve our working with an organization to try to prevent a breach, to try to run tabletop exercises, to help them prepare for handling a breach. And you know what we found that's interesting is that many organizations literally don't know all of the other organizations that are supporting their information processing. We find that individual managers, individual employees sometimes, are using outside services without telling anybody formally within the organization. Now, it can range from uh, some software as a service that may be very helpful in something that they're doing, all the way to using personally owned storage, uh, things like Box, Dropbox, iCloud, SkyDrive, an endless number of them, all of which put data that is really the company's data and, and the customer's data or the patient's data at potential risk. So for a company to ignore all of those connections is, I think, really to do that company great damage. What we are looking at in healthcare is a recognition that you can't simply look inside your own organization and say, yes, everything is fine, but that you have to understand the evolution of this whole concept of cloud computing and remote computing to say, where's our data? Who holds our data? How do they protect it? If there was a problem, would they tell us? Would they do the right thing? I mean, ultimately, if we gave them the data and it belongs to our customers, our customers are going to look to us. They're not going to be satisfied with our saying, hey, it wasn't really us. It, it was this vendor we used, and they had a vendor that they used, and they screwed up. So, you know, it, it's pretty sad, but not our problem. I mean, it is your problem. And it's that recognition that is leading organizations to say we need to get a real handle on any point at which our data is being handled by somebody else. So not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like there are some uh, some leads that people can take from healthcare because we've got healthcare organizations in the U.S. going through this exercise now. I don't think that there's any organization right now that would be ill-served by asking those same questions. I think if you look at the details of HIPAA and HITECH, which have been brought together in something called the uh, final omnibus rule, not everything, but certainly interesting proportions of that would be applicable to any organization, and those concepts would be of value to those organizations. It itself represents something of a structure. 
because you can look at all those rules and say it really comes down to maybe three or four things. First, having a threat or risk assessment, understanding what the risk is and how to counter that risk. Second, asking questions about how you're securing the data. Third, questions about privacy. You have a program. Who's in charge of it? How do you protect privacy? Do people understand their individual roles and that within the company? And then breach notification. What happens if something goes wrong? And you can't ever be in a position of saying it'll never happen to us because it does, and it happens to people every day. Well, Alan, Kroll's third prediction is about the malicious insider threat, saying the malicious insider remains a serious threat but will become more visible in 2014. So my questions for you are, one, how will organizations address the insider threat? And what about the unintentional insider, someone that makes a mistake or gets taken advantage of by someone that's malicious outside the organization? What role do you see that individual playing? A lot of this comes from our actual work. You know, we're the guys that get called when something happens. We can do the forensics. We can do the investigation. We can help drive through the noise around an incident to try to get to that root cause. And we do find that that there are a lot of cases that are ultimately an insider. And part of that, Tom, is because over the years, the definition of an insider has evolved. And we used to think of it as being a regular employee. But as we talked about before, there are now a lot of business partners, business associates, who provide services to us and who are, relative to the outside world, insiders. There are temps. There are contractors. There are vendors. There's an entire ecosystem of organizations that collectively represent the insider. And it's in that ecosystem that we see so many of these problems. It could be somebody who is doing this for money. We see information being sold. It can be somebody who's doing it because they have a political agenda, kind of a an inside hacktivist. Uh, or it could be somebody working with cyber criminals. But the other part of what you said is equally true, and that is that even with the best of intentions, people make mistakes. They will respond to a phishing email that looks so real that it was just something they felt they had to do. They will visit a website that provides drive-by malware. They will pick up a memory stick that they might have found in the parking lot and try to find the owner by plugging it into their machine, not realizing that one of the tricks the bad guys have learned is to take an infected memory stick and drop it in the parking lot or leave it in a bathroom on an unguarded floor of a building and then look at people's better nature, their their desire to help people uh, to start the infection chain. And, and that's really why I say that no organization, no matter how hard they try, can ever immunize themselves against these problems. And that's why it is so important for organizations to be ready for that, to have a plan in place to handle an incident, and then to practice that plan. One of the things that we found is that organizations that have a plan and that practice the plan 
whether they're practicing it through internal exercises, whether we come in and build a tabletop exercise. But those who practice it, when an incident occurs, get through that incident far better than those who are trying to learn incident management in the middle of an incident. Alan, I don't want to give away everything from your forecast, but maybe you could give us a hint of what some of the other predictions are, and then most important, where people can go to read more about these predictions. The things we're seeing are really related in, in, in a lot of ways to what you and I have talked about in the last few minutes. I think that the other side of the coin from the protection is the remediation. And we are seeing that there are more standards relating to breach uh, remediation. And one of the key things we're seeing there is that it's always been assumed for some reason that when you have a breach, one size fits all. Because over the years, whenever I've gotten a breach letter and my friends and my colleagues, it usually says something like, gee, we feel terrible about this and we're going to give you a year of monitoring of your credit report. Well, one of the things that we've learned is that sometimes that's a great idea, but in a lot of cases, doesn't actually make sense because the kinds of incidents that involve the misuse of that data aren't things that show up on the credit report. Uh, things like W-2 fraud, um, where somebody uses your information to get a job and then leaves and you end up with a tax bill. Uh, healthcare fraud, where they're using your information to literally get healthcare under your name. And those are not going to show up on a credit report. When an incident occurs that involves sensitive data, we're finding that it is becoming increasingly important for organizations to work with their risk managers, with counsel, and with forensic resources to understand what happened and to base their response and their work with the victims to the realities of the particular situation. And that is, I think, going to become very, very prevalent. And finally, we see a couple of things happening, as everybody else in the industry, uh, the so-called cloud phenomenon, where more and more things are being done remotely, and less and less is necessarily being done within an organization or on the desktop computer. And the other is bring your own device. And collectively, these are accelerating. And they are going to really require companies to think very carefully, not just about the technology, but about the legal implications, about the electronic discovery implications of these devices, and think about how they can bring them into a reasonable set of compliances with what the company needs, with what these frameworks call for, and still work with the needs of the employee to get their job done. Where can individuals go to learn more about the predictions? And most important, how should they act upon this information you're giving them? But people want to be able to, to read our predictions and, and see what we've collectively come up with looking across all of our cases around the world. They can go to our website at Kroll Cybersecurity or to our corporate site at Kroll.com. 
and they'll find a link to it. I think each organization is going to have to determine how to use it best, but what would, would please me is if they looked at the seven uh, areas of prediction that we've come up with this year and simply asked the question, how does this apply to me for real? What would I have to do to avoid problems in this area? And to the extent that we have additional information that can help or that our experience can be of assistance, you know, call us, call whoever you trust as an advisor and get the information to your general counsel or get the information to your uh, risk manager and your compliance people and work together with them to build a better set of controls for your organization and, of course, to be ready when an incident occurs. Alan, that's fine insight. I appreciate you taking time to speak with me today. Thank you. Not a problem. Always good to speak to you, Tom. The topic has been Kroll's 2014 Cybersecurity Forecast. I've been speaking with Alan Brill, Kroll's Senior Managing Director. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.